Good morning. Welcome to church. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping together this morning. It's great to see you all. Good job making it here, even though we lost that hour last night, but we, we conquered and we're here, and hopefully you've had extra caffeine this morning. So as you settle in, I just want to encourage you, as we do every week, to prepare your hearts. Um, let's just take a moment to center ourselves before the Lord and just be open to his presence, um, what he wants to speak to us this morning, and how he wants to move in our midst. Can we do that? Let's just uh, take a moment and let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be gathered together in this place this morning. And God, I know there's a lot going on, but I just pray, Lord, that during this time that we can recenter and refocus our hearts on you. God, we can get caught up in so many things that we often forget to keep our eyes on you and to keep you as the main thing. So Lord, we are going to intentionally do that this morning. We are going to draw near to you. God, would you just draw near to us this morning? We are hungry for you. We are desperate for you. And God, we recognize our overwhelming need for you today. So God, would you meet us here? We are here to worship you and to bring praise to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can stand with us if you'd like.
guys can play as I read this um, call to worship for us. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 12 through 13 says, Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord, our God, other lords beside you, besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. Amen. He's the only one that is worthy.
well, we're having trouble today. All right. We're going to sing this song. I just want to take a moment for us to just acknowledge that sometimes when we sing, the words that we're singing don't feel true to us in that moment. But we sing by faith, and you guys can go ahead and play, that God's word is true, and the promises that he's made are true, and the things that we hold to be true about God, that we declare those things by faith, not by sight. So even when we don't see and we don't feel the goodness of God, it is still there. It is still true. So we're going to sing this by faith this morning. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God cause all my life you have been Give you everything. 
You may be seated this morning. As we often say, please remain in the posture of worship and prayer. I just want to invite you to just spend the next few moments speaking with the Lord and letting him speak to you. Heavenly Father, we pause this morning and we don't rush past this moment, this moment where you want to meet with us here, this moment where you want us to pause right where we are and to just notice you. God, we Pause in this moment to allow our hearts and our souls to be strengthened. God, some of us in this room, or maybe some of us who are watching online, we feel just so weary, God. God, some of us, we feel discouraged. God, some of us feel overwhelmed. God, we recognize that there are those in our midst who find themselves this morning feeling hopeless. There are some who find themselves tired of being sick. And maybe there's some God that can't quite put their finger on what it is. But maybe it's just that we're longing for more of you. God, as we try to fill our lives with the things of this world that promise to bring fulfillment and peace and contentment, God, we are reminded that you are the only one who can fill us, that you are the only one who can meet and fill that void that we so often feel. And so, God, we just pause this morning and recognize our need for you. God, would you just speak to us and and strengthen our hearts? And would you just fill us with more of your goodness, more of your mercy, more of your love, and more of you? God, we just simply long for more of you. God, in this moment and during this season of Lent, we we are called to, to lay down our life. Or, in other words, to put ourselves aside. And instead, we, we fix our eyes on the cross. Instead of fixing our eyes on the, the things of this world, the temporary pleasures of this world, God, once again, we take our eyes off of those things and we fix our eyes on you. God, would you just journey with us through this season? 
Would you walk beside us? God, would you remind us who we are, who you've called us to be, and what you've called us to do? God, as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, I invite you to go before us, prepare our hearts to receive this word that is alive and breathing and useful for teaching us today. Holy Spirit, would you help these words to become life for us? that this wouldn't just be a message that we hear, but that this would be a message that we receive and a message that we would follow, one that we would orient our lives around. God, may you move me out of the way and just speak to each one of us, speak to each person here. Help us to hear your voice and your voice alone. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace that meets us here. God, our hearts are grateful. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I was joking with somebody earlier that I recognize the challenge before me today as you are running on one less hour of sleep. I feel as though I really got to step up to the plate and figure out how to keep you awake and engaged, which I I said to this person, it's actually kind of challenging because I don't even, there's not even a lot of room for humor in this message. It's not really one of those kinds of messages, but Uh, All jokes aside, uh, I do recognize that some of you may be coming in a little extra sleepy today, and so if you want to move around a little bit when we stand, then that's okay, and no one's going to look at you funny or judge you, right? But I am going to invite you to stand this morning as we read. Once again, don't freak out, we're reading the same passage we read last week, uh, but we are reading once again from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
Perhaps we ought to say this is the weighty, challenging, not so easy to digest and receive at times word of the Lord, if we're being honest. Right? We, we are looking this week once again at the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we focused on just the first few verses. We actually looked at verses 1 through 5 last week, and we kind of we paused and acknowledged that, that these verses, verses 1 through 5, these were words to those who were hurting and suffering This was God's response and God's grace to those who find themselves in a certain state of being without, a state of needing some more of God's grace. Last week, we talked about the poor in spirit. We acknowledge that these are those who who long for God's righteousness to be realized. They are very aware of how much they don't have. They are aware of what they're lacking. But we also talked about how these are the ones who are going to be aware of God's faithfulness and presence because God is going to give himself to those who are poor in spirit. We talked about those who mourn, those who are grieving, those who are lamenting, those who long to be, to be comforted by God. And we see that God promises to comfort and be near to those who are mourning. We talked about the meek, those who feel like they are nobodies, those who feel like they are constantly overlooked, those who feel as if they are unimportant. And we talked about how they are the ones who will receive the promises of God. They will receive God's promises and inherit the land that he has promised to them. Not those who come to take it by force, but those who wait. Those who wait on the Lord and remain humble as they wait. Before we get too far this morning, and I I didn't really talk too much about this last week, but I think it's important for us to recognize who is before Jesus as he is preaching these words? It's important to acknowledge that there were crowds of people all around him, but who was in this crowd? Imagine yourselves. You're in a crowd this morning, and just imagine as you, in your mind, maybe look around, who are the people that are around you as you're listening to these just unheard of things from this Jesus? The ones who are in the crowd are the ones who have just received healing, and who have just received a physical touch. They have just been ministered to. These are the ones who came to Jesus either with nothing or in desperation because they needed a touch or a healing from the Son of God. And they received that. And so they, of course, follow him. When you receive such a miracle, such a radical healing or touch, you're going to follow this person. You're going to be really interested in what they have to say, right? And so... Before Jesus are those who are sick, those who are destitute, those who have nothing, those who are nobodies, those whom society has pushed to the side and said, you're not important, you don't matter, be quiet. Jesus welcomes them and he says, you do matter, you are important. And so among those who are sick and destitute and who have nothing, we also read that there are followers of Jesus, disciples present here in this place. There are those who are, have just been called to follow Jesus, and now they are learning what this means. 
What does it look like to follow Jesus? It's important for us to recognize that that is who Jesus is speaking to. He has a word for both those who are desperate, who recognize their great need for God, and also those who are now following this Jesus and they need to learn what exactly that means. And so we see this shift that begins to take place in verse 7. Lots of different scholars or pastors might highlight where a shift happens, and they might kind of look at different moments as a shift or different verses that are connected to others. But I I appreciated this week as I noticed this shift that happens in verse 7 from a state of being and what God says to you and, and what God's response is to you to now this is how you ought to live in response to God. Right? God has responded to you, now this is how you are to live. In other words, here's how I thought about this this week. Sometimes it's absolutely appropriate to ask the, the question, where is God? Right? It's definitely appropriate to ask that question, where is God? God, where are you? But then there are also times where it's also important and appropriate to ask Where is God's community? Where are the people of God? And what are they doing? And so you could almost look at when we see this shift that it is now focusing on the people of God and how they are to live and what they are to do. I appreciated scholar Robert Snow as he observes in verse 6. He observes that verse 6 is this transitional verse. He says, The spiritual disposition of hungering and thirsting for righteousness understood as ethical faithfulness toward God and others relates to the next three Beatitudes. God expects his people to be merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. So let's dive right back in and pick up with verse 6. We didn't look at verse 6 last week, but verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who, who find themselves hungry. You know what it's like to feel hungry, right? Like that deep hunger pain, like you are just so hungry. Or, or similarly, you know what it's like to feel so incredibly thirsty. It's a long, hot day. You've been working outside and you left your water in the house and now you are so incredibly thirsty. And maybe at first you weren't aware of just how thirsty you were, but once you realize just how thirsty you are or how hungry you are, you can't think about anything else, Right? Maybe some of you are experiencing that right now. I don't know. But you just sometimes recognize, oh my goodness, I have this longing that I need to be filled, and I can't think about anything else until that longing is filled. Imagine that. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for for righteousness, when Jesus says righteous, he has in mind those who love God and those who love others as themselves. And this is not new information. This is not news to us. We know that this is who God is. This is who God has always been. God has always called his people to love him first, to serve him first, and then to go and love others, right? When God first called and made a covenant with the nation of Israel, he told them, you will be my people, I will be your God, and you are called to go and be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Well, if Israel is this holy nation, this kingdom of priests, then the rest of the world, that is their 
congregation. They are to go and to minister and to be God to these people, to demonstrate who God is and how God loves. And then Jesus, he is point blank asked a a question that is, hey, what's the one thing I have to do to get into heaven? What's the one thing I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says again, you know this, Jewish scholar, you know better than anyone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not news to us that this is what God wants for his people, to be in right relationship with him and in right relationship with one another. But when we think about righteousness, something that you and I might not think about right away, but something that the original audience would have surely thought about when they heard righteousness was God's faithfulness. They would have remembered God's covenant faithfulness. This is not a Pauline understanding of righteousness that relates to justification, but this is righteousness as in God has always been righteous and faithful to us, and he's calling us to be righteous and faithful in response. This is righteousness in the Jewish context which remembers and considers God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Remember, those first few verses were reminders of God's faithfulness, that God shows up, that God meets needs, that God ministers to those who are broken and hurting and doing without. God always is the first one to reach out. And God has been, and God will continue to be faithful and righteous, even though we have not. Even though we have not remained faithful To him, he remains faithful to us. And he says, those who are hungry and thirsty for for my righteousness, for my faithfulness, they will be filled. In fact, that Greek word, I really appreciated that Greek word, which could literally mean fattened or, or bloated or overflowing. And we don't often think of bloated as a good thing, right? Like we're not encouraged to eat until we're bloated. It's it's quite the opposite, actually. So I just really loved that Greek understanding of this word filled, not just filled, but overflowing and bloated. Verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. One of the things I thought about this week is that this has in mind those who will do unto others, if you will. You, we all are very familiar with that do unto others as you would have them do unto you, however, We really have to remember that this is not simply the shallow virtue of just niceness or or tolerance that we might think of here in the Western culture. You know, like just, just smile at people and just tolerate them. Don't be ugly to them. But this has something a little bit more in mind. Instead, when you think about mercy, this is this brings to mind concrete actions of love, compassion. And sympathetic grace, not only to those you don't know, but then also to those that you don't really like. Those you don't really care for. Those who you think don't really deserve your mercy. This mercy has in mind extending, this call rather, has in mind extending mercy to others because you and I appreciate having mercy extended to us, don't we? 
This has in mind seeing others as human beings and having compassion on them because you and I want to be seen as human beings. This has in mind showing decency to someone even when you think they don't deserve it because you and I appreciate when someone does that for us even though we don't deserve it. I think of the Good Samaritan as I think about mercy. And I think about how the Good Samaritan, when seeing this Jewish man lying almost dead in a ditch, he doesn't just think kind things toward him, right? Like everyone else already did that, or actually they did less than that. He didn't just go over there and like cover him up because he's naked. And he doesn't just go over there and drop a few coins, but then, you know, takes off. Like he reorients his entire life now around showing mercy to this Jewish man, his enemy, that's radical. We've talked about this before, about just how radical this is, that you would reorient your entire day or even a few days, that you would change your plans, alter your plans, allow yourself to be inconvenienced, to show mercy to someone who might even be your enemy, someone who doesn't deserve your mercy in your mind at all. I think that's what Jesus has in mind. And he says, those who show this kind of mercy will experience God's merciful love. They are given mercy in response. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We tend to have a very particular idea when we hear this phrase, pure in heart. We think of, of cleanliness. We think of outward purity, things that I avoid, things that I refrain from to stay pure. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we have to understand that in this culture, with this audience, to those who Jesus is speaking to, they would think of their heart as their whole being. It was their whole self was tied up in their heart. This, this was identifying whether or not oneself is embodying these beatitudes and therefore reflecting the nature of God. It's important to, to know that the pure in heart, they are not simply motivated by external circumstances, but they are rather those who give their entire heart, their entire selves, their entire beings to loving God and loving neighbor. These are the ones who are going to see God working all around them. They are going to know and they're going to be confident in what God is doing. See, Jesus, he dismissed the importance of the external and he emphasized what was on the inside. I appreciate how author Sky Jatani puts it. He said, in God's kingdom... Outward piety without inward purity is the definition of hypocrisy. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. He is more concerned with our internal posture toward God. If the heart is good, then what we produce on the outside will be good as well. If our heart is wicked, no amount of image management on the outside will be enough to make us right with God. You know what that brings to mind? Jesus, why don't your disciples ever wash their hands? They know they're supposed to wash their hands. This is part of our purity laws, Jesus. Why are your disciples eating with dirty hands? That's just disgusting and it's wrong. What does Jesus say in response to them? 
I don't care, this is paraphrasing, I don't care how dirty their hands are, what I care about is how clean their hearts are. I am much more concerned with the cleanliness of their hearts than I am with the cleanliness of their hands. Personally, I'm going to wash my hands before I eat too. But it's good to know that Jesus is much more concerned with what's going on on the inside than he is worried about us keeping up with appearances on the outside. Then verse 9, this is where it starts to get a little rough. If it hasn't already been rough, you'd start, we're going to kick it up a notch because this is the moment where, where things may have gotten a little uncomfortable with the original audience. With those who are standing before Jesus, I think all of it was a little uncomfortable because we've talked about how this is, this is radically countercultural. Jesus is flipping ideas on their head. He's flipping them upside down. And, and this is where it might get a little bit more challenging. When he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers. We all have different ideas of what it means to be peacemakers, don't we? We probably all in this room have different ideas and plans for what it looks like to bring peace into this world. We probably all have our own great ideas as to what it should look like to Keep peace on earth. But I think what Jesus is talking about here, he's thinking about those who are reconciled to God. They are so reconciled to God. They are one with God that they don't rest until they see reconciliation around them. That their, their longing, their deepest desire is to see those around them reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. And here's the thing we need to acknowledge about peacemaking. The means uh, to peacemaking may not always be clear. We're going to have different ideas as to what it looks like to be peacemakers and how to keep peace on earth. We're all going to have different ideas. And so the means of peacemaking may not always be crystal clear, but the call to peacemaking is absolutely clear. And it might look different at times. Sometimes it might be outwardly advocating for something that you know is right. Sometimes it might be outwardly advocating against something that you know is wrong. Sometimes it's speaking what needs to be said, even though that's so difficult for us, especially those of us who do not enjoy conflict in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes it looks like having to enter into conflict, not because you enjoy it, some people do, but not because you enjoy it, but because you want to see reconciliation and you know that reconciliation is not going to happen until you get in there and bring to the surface all of the ugly so that reconciliation could happen. Doesn't it sound weird to imagine that you might have to get into some conflict in order to make peace? I like how Scott McKnight puts it. You know, I leaned on him heavily for, for guidance and teaching as I was processing through the uh, Beatitudes. And he says this. He says, peacemaking is an active entrance into the middle of warring parties for the purpose of creating reconciliation and peace. Not by pretending there are no differences or suppressing differences, but by creating love of the other that transcends differences or that permits the people to join hands in spite of those differences. 
And I know it's really easy for us to have in our minds, like everyone holding hands, singing kumbaya as we think about peace, and we kind of can, we can get these images in mind that's like, oh, that's so pie in the sky, that's never going to happen, we're never going to experience that. But I don't want us to get so focused on that that we miss the importance of peacemaking and its important connection to the other Beatitudes. That Jesus has in mind here that this is about the shalom of God being restored. That this is about the wholeness and completeness of God being recognized and acknowledged. And that yes, there is still going to be a longing until Jesus comes again. Things will not be completely as they should, but we can still experience wholeness and completeness in God right here, right now. And peacemakers are aware of that, and so they work so that this can be realized. As an Enneagram 9, I hate conflict. I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram, but Enneagram 9s, we're the peacemakers. But what I've had to wrestle with is this tension of peacemaking versus peacekeeping. And a lot of times I just want to be a peacekeeper, which, you know, like I wrote down the, from the book itself, the Enneagram 9s, we want to create harmony in our environment, and we want to avoid conflicts and tensions, we want to preserve things as they are, and we are going to resist anything that would upset or disturb that. That's what we really want to do. But the interesting thing about Enneagram 9s is that we also have this deep sense for shalom, or this deep longing, I should say, for shalom and for wholeness and completeness. And so because that conviction is so real and so strong, that means that an Enneagram 9 is going to go into conflict knowing that it'll be better for everyone in the end, because then real peace, not a fake, phony peace, but real peace, shalom, can be experienced. I know you're not all going to relate to that because you either don't know what the Enneagram is at all and you don't care, or you're not a nine, and so you're like, what does that really have to do with me? I'm just trying to help you understand that a lot of times we as people, I think most people, we just want to keep peace. But Jesus is saying, no, no, the kind of shalom, the kind of peace that I'm talking about means you're going to have to sometimes get in the conflict. You're going to have to get your hands a little bit dirty, and I'm afraid that it doesn't get better. I'm afraid that, that it's just going to get a little bit harder because you see the work of peacemaking is not applauded or celebrated by the world. A world that loves violence and a world that's going to that, trample on anyone in order to get what's theirs, in order to get what's right, they are going to be angry at the peacemakers. They're going to say ugly things about the peacemakers. The peacemakers are often ridiculed, which is what Jesus is reminding us of. Remember, the Beatitudes are about a reversal. This is a cultural reversal. It's backwards. It's upside down ways of living. And guess what Jesus says? He says, you're going to know this is true when there's great division. And I would say even within the church, I know Jesus had to have had this in mind, that even within the church, there's going to be great division because the majority of the church is going to say, we're going to go this way and we're going to do this. And then the few will actually live this way where they are wanting to make peace. They are working for shalom. As we come to the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking to those who have nothing, and he's also speaking to those who have given up everything. 
And he's saying to them, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And I have to imagine he's essentially saying, are you in or are you out? Here's what it looks like for you to be in. And this last section really recognizes and acknowledges that this is a somewhat hard to accept truth. That those who who live in this way, that those who live towards and create peace and righteousness and justice, and I know some of us don't like that word, but they're interchangeable. Justice and righteousness are interchangeable. You can't have one without the other. That if we're going to work towards and create peace, righteousness, and justice, we're going to have to be okay with being outsiders. We're going to have to be okay with people getting angry at us sometimes. We're going to have to be okay feeling politically homeless at times. Quite frankly, that's where I'd like to be right now. Politically homeless. Amen? And yes, you may even be persecuted. Jesus says, get comfortable with it because it might happen. Remember what Jesus was persecuted for. You can't ignore it. We, We can't deny it that Jesus came and established peace when others wanted war right? They had one expectation of Jesus. Jesus didn't meet that expectation, so they got angry and killed him. Jesus came and he worked to extend mercy to those who around him, who those within the church said, no, 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 they don't deserve mercy. What are you doing? They got angry with him. They killed him. Friends, God is peace. And God is mercy, and God works for peace, and God works for mercy, and he calls us to do the same. And what we have to realize is that embracing and living this out, it's going to set us apart as peculiar because the priorities for a person living out this type of righteousness are so very different from the world. So how on earth are we supposed to do it? Maybe some of you are asking that question, like, okay, I get it, but how? It's just so difficult, and it feels so impossible. I appreciate Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words. He says, here at the end of the Beatitudes, and this all ties together, I promise. Here at the end of the Beatitudes, the question arises as to where in this world such a faith community actually finds a place. And he says, they find their place at the cross. And I don't know if you realize this or not yet, but during the season of Lent, we are journeying to the cross. So this community who embraces these things, they find themselves at the cross. This faith community of the blessed is the community of the crucified. With Jesus, they lost everything. You might lose everything, but in him they found everything. You might lose everything, but in Jesus you find everything. This is an important reminder for us as we journey toward the cross during the season of Lent. Friends, we are being called again. We are being called again to follow Jesus and to receive this instruction from him. Jesus is essentially saying, you are following me. Here's what I'm calling you to do. 
So I think that Jesus, if maybe if he were here with us today in the flesh, I think he would say, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Are you in or are you out? As the praise team comes back and as we prepare a time to respond, as we come to the end and the close of the Beatitudes, I just want to acknowledge two ways that we are challenged. I want us to acknowledge two ways how we are challenged. And the first one is this, and and please don't miss this this morning. I want you to understand that no one, none of you here are beyond God's blessing. That God's blessings are for you. The kingdom of heaven is for the overlooked, for the bullied, for the knocked down. Even before they have survived or conquered, God is for you and he invites you to experience his kingdom here and now. The kingdom of heaven, listen, it's for the least of these. It's for those who find themselves feeling poor, whether economically or poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is for those who feel like they are nobodies, for those who feel like they have messed up, and yet they want to find their way back. God is for you, and he invites you to experience his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is for those who have been pushed down, pushed aside, for those who have been told they don't matter, for those who feel like they are unimportant, who can't do anything significant. God says, no, I am for you, and you are invited to experience my kingdom right now. That's the first challenge and the first message that we need to hear and receive, if appropriate, this morning. The second one is this. Church, I'm talking to us. No longer are we to judge who is in and who is out, who is blessed and who is not. Instead, the call for the church, the call for followers of Jesus, for you and I, instead we pursue each and every person with the intentions of loving them, blessing them, extending grace to them, and showing radical mercy to them. God expects his people to be merciful because he has been merciful to us. God has shown me mercy when I didn't deserve it, when I deserved anything else other than mercy. God gave me mercy. He extended mercy to me, and now he calls me to do the same. God expects his people to be pure and true because he has been pure and true to us. He has been faithful to us time and time again, even though we failed him time and time again. Even though we, the people of God, have been unfaithful, God has always remained faithful. God expects us to be makers of peace because that's who God is and that's who God has always been. From the moment that sin entered into the picture, God has been working relentlessly to restore shalom, to restore wholeness and completeness, to make sure that everybody finds this wholeness in God and 
friends, he calls us to do the same. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to be in and realize the kingdom of God that is already at work all around us. The response now is, are we in or are we out? Will we receive or will we reject? God, would you just continue to move in our hearts and show us, give us an imagination, God, once again, what it looks like to be people of God who work, to be people of God who always extend mercy, who always show compassionate grace to others. God, remind us what, uh, what it means again to be blessed. God, would you just speak to us, your people. Amen. right in your spirit at this time.
Jesus, we thank you for your love that meets us where we are and calls us blessed. Blessed not because of what we have, not because of what we can obtain, not because of how educated we are, not because of of what our family looks like or how many friends we have or how great and fantastic our church programs are, But Jesus, you call us blessed because you give us yourself. You give us all of you holding nothing back. And so we are thankful. Jesus, we are thankful. And we recognize once again this morning our call to lay down our lives, to follow you wholeheartedly, 
not halfway in, halfway out, but both feet in, 100% holding nothing back, going where you call us to go, and living in this way how you've called us to live. God, help us. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves, to fix our eyes on you and to open up our eyes to the world around us that is so desperately in need of you, Jesus. Help us to be a people who abandon everything else and instead wholeheartedly pursue each and every lost person with love and grace and mercy that only comes from you. Go before us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated as I share a few quick announcements with you this morning before we leave. Um, Men's breakfast is coming up this next Saturday, March 19th. That's going to be at 8 a.m. over here in the fellowship hall. Next Sunday, that's the 20th, right? Next Sunday, or no, that's the 21st. Uh, Next Sunday is going to be the Zone Rally. That's going to be held here um, in the sanctuary. That's going to be at 7 p.m. We're going to hear from missionaries John and Vicki Moore, and you can find out more about them in the foyer if you're interested in that. But we hope that if you're free next Sunday night that you'll come out and and join us for that. Um, In fact, related to that, um, we're going to ask that you would stay after... Oh, wait. I'm so confused. Hold on. I've got myself all out of whack here. The 21st is next Monday. So we're going to need help next Sunday. That's where I was getting mixed up. I'm so sorry. All right. So that's next Monday. And we're going to ask for your help next Sunday. Um, After church, we're just going to ask if you could stay and help us kind of set up the sanctuary. We're going to be setting up tables. Um, That's how we do these um, NMI services. We have tables that people can sit around. and, And so... Remember, there's going to be other people from our zone coming. It's not just our church, so we're wanting to make that space appropriate. So we're just asking if you will help us next Sunday after church um, as we get ready for that next Monday. Thank you. Sorry, I lost that for a second. Um, All right. Also, Lunch Bunch is going to meet uh, Wednesday, March 23rd at noon, and that's going to be at Easy Buffet in Belleville. Um, Don't forget about the Restore Network virtual banquet watch party. That's going to be Thursday, March 24th um, at 6 p.m. here at the church. It's going to be a busy week that week, but we're going to make it work and and show up anyways, right? And so we are asking that you RSVP uh, by March 20th for the Restore Banquet so that we can prepare um, everything that we need to ahead of time for everyone that's going to be coming. And then also this morning, we just wanted to ask um, if any of you have any interest in being um, on a hospitality team, we would love to talk with you more about that. So you're all well aware that uh, Miss Young takes good care of us. She's back there in the back, and, and she takes good care of us on Sunday mornings every week. I don't know if you know this or realize who does this, but I'm sure you see her taking coffee back and forth every week. Um, she makes and prepares coffee for us. She makes breakfast for us. A lot of times it's homemade things, and we so appreciate her, but we also want to support her. And so if any of you are ever interested in being a part of the hospitality team, you can talk to me, you can talk to Young, you can talk to Karen and let her know, but we just want to be able to support Young and get her some some help with that if there's any interest in that, okay? And then lastly, um, I'm going to ask Rick to come and join me up here. He has something to share with us.
Let's see, Ashley, could he? Oh, yeah, there we go, right there. Yep, either way. Well, good morning, church. Are we on here? Okay, good, good morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Nicole, for another wonderful message this morning. Aren't we glad to have the Cottons with us? They've been our pastoral family for... Uh, for what, 14 months or so? The end of January, it was uh, the, the first anniversary. Uh, well, we're also celebrating uh, Bo this morning. Most of you know, come on out, Bo, Bo come on out from your cage there, He's Bo, so just confused. a quick second. Uh, most of you know that, that, that Bo is uh, also a pastor. He has a, a bachelor's degree in pastoral leadership from Nazarene Bible College and is licensed by the district. As a, as a pastor and is working toward ordination. And what we're celebrating this morning is this is his first anniversary as a volunteer pastor here at Belleville First. Uh, he, he helps coordinate our, uh, our online campus ministry, and uh, part of the process of becoming ordained is serving in, in a church, and he does that for us very faithfully. And we just want to say how much we appreciate both of you, but the, this morning, especially, Bo, yeah. we appreciate you. So we have a card. I just want to tell you how much we love you and how much we appreciate you. So thank you, Bo. Thank you. Yeah, so shortly after we got here in January, um, we kind of worked together a, a little job description for Bo as as he still works to accrue his um, hours of service for ordination. And so he has a job description that is pretty short and simple, but he does a lot more than what is on that. And so we established that sometime of in March of 21. So yeah, it's right around that time that, that we did that. So uh, thank you guys for your support. We, we love serving here alongside all of you, and we're just so grateful for all of you and the love you show to us. Amen. Thank you, Larry. Well, I invite you all to stand with me this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the grace and peace of our Lord, that you would know that you are blessed and that you would go and love and serve and show mercy this week. You are dismissed. Have a great day. <laughs>